Thanks for listening to No Question About That. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so on patreon.com forward slash NQATpod, where we do a backer show each week and there's merch available. You can write us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave a five-star rating. Or you can visit our merch store at nqatpod.com forward slash merch. Okay, Daniel, so day after United's famous nil-nil victory at Anfield, <laughs> how are you feeling about that one? Buzzing, as um, Big Verge said. Yeah. Oh, man, I enjoyed the absolute sewerness of that interview. Oh, God, Only yeah. one team trying to win it. As though, I mean, you see it a lot when Wenger's teams were didn't get their own way, that other teams had somehow cheated by not playing into yeah. their glorious hands yeah as if there isn't more than one way to win a football match but also you watch that game and think Liverpool played really well Liverpool deserved to win no one no one is saying that no they had a lot Um, of shots but they're all kind of long-range pot shots crap they didn't create much of any I don't remember and I couldn't see in the the data like some really obvious stuff they definitely should have scored and beaten us by many so yes i did i did enjoy the bitterness of that interview afterwards and the moaning so only one team trial and look at them they're so excited <laughs> shut up man like why are you talking like you're something one the i mean i i think that from quite early on i felt united were quite going to be quite comfortable in the game i didn't particularly feel like liverpool were going to be able to up it because i think their results are much better than the players and the team yeah and I felt, I mean, really, we should have nicked it. Two points dropped. There were, I mean, what, two good opportunities. Hoyland was there another one later on. I mean, there were, there were, there were opportunities for United, not loads, but given the game plan was to actually be quite narrow, much more compact between midfield and defence, which we haven't seen very much this, this season. And to be disciplined, as Ten Hag called it afterwards, that worked very well. I mean, it was a crap game of um, football, but that's what United needed to create it, I think, in order to yeah, get something out. Yeah, I felt out. like, I think that one major difference was no Bruno. Obviously, Bruno is a class player, the best player in the team. But the balance, there's a reason why we didn't concede or even really look like conceding. And one of those was the balance of midfield changed because he played Amrabat and who doesn't run, he waddles. Quite incredible. Looks like his shorts. Like he's got like extra, 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 extra large shorts. But having Amrabat and Maynou there instead of one or one of the two and then Bruno and McTominay, there's a, made it, made us look much less likely to concede. And that is the right balance. I don't, I mean, I don't think those are the players that I, go with i mean whenever i go with mainu casemiro and bruno but we immediately look more solid by changing by changing the profile of the midfield with a more defensive player and taking out nominally an attacking player yeah 
for sure. And and Scott McTominay was more disciplined than than his normal, which was reflected in the fact that he actually got on the ball a bit more than normal as well. Uh, it was funny, helped. wasn't it? He was kind of busting. He was kind of busting an aneurysm trying to be the captain. Yeah. Trying to get on the ball, be inspirational, and like make third man runs. Like he was kind of strutting about a bit, like like he was Frank Lampard. But it's every week the McTominay principle, whether well, McTominay paradox, sorry, where someone where something where the something's biggest asset is also is also the biggest issue, and that is this United team and McTominay. Yes, he's the top scorer, but also. The way to make the team better would be to take him out of it. That would be the, the, the quickest way of improving this team. Yeah, sure. And and just the introduction of my new, just as a layer of class and and composure to the central midfield that we don't normally get without him in the team. And and it's it's interesting. He played very well against Everton. He played yeah so so against Newcastle. And after each of those, he's basically been dropped hasn't he or did they follow each other and he got dropped and he wasn't back in the team and he wasn't so he wasn't dropped or i mean or, i think or not, I mean, or not. he was rested yeah. after yeah and he's been injured so that's rest- fair enough but it's like after that kind of performance and the composure that he brings to the team you want to see him within reason play as often as possible now yeah i mean i've been thinking about lewis miley at newcastle that he just he just plays it doesn't. It's not how constantly leaving him out is that he's earned his place in the team and he's staying there. But I liked what Ten Hag said about Manu afterwards because he basically talked about how good he is at scanning and his physicality. And once he's settled a bit more, the passes will come. He said when he gets used more often in these games, he'll get even more joy from it. With his skill, with his speed of action, he can get such passes. He's a player who can really hurt opponents. So I think I guess he was talking about the pass he played to Garnacho yeah. when. He- where Alexander Arnold made that made that touch made that touch, and this is, I guess, why the player I want one of the reasons that why I've wondered if we're squeezing him into being a number six because he has ability to play there, and t- and, he, and Ten Hag couldn't get Frankie, so he's making Mayu that instead. Because when I see him the way he plays going forward, I want him on the ball a bit closer to the box. So I guess that's one reason why whoever he end up deploying to play with him and presumably it's going to unless Dan Gore makes it it's going to be someone we buy I want that person to be able to do a bit of his job and a bit of a number eight's job so that yeah maybe you can do both of those things as well yeah or maybe it's Casemiro and Casemiro's legs aren't what they were and maybe he just doesn't have to cover as much ground if if Manu's in the side alongside him and Bruno and then you have something of a balance there because because menu is some kind of hybrid but i agree his 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 passing range and his intelligence in in tight spaces whether it's nearer to his own goal or further forward is is just a class above what we have in the other players around him and it does just kind of i think i mean obviously amrabat just isn't very good um let's let's just be honest about that he (laughs) he can't keep up with the physicality for sure and like his technical skills aren't so good that they make up for that so he's just not that good Casemiro's back training and I guess we'll see him at some point over the Christmas break or maybe in the new year but it it certainly felt like he wasn't physically up to it anymore and and the the fact that he was getting a lot of yellow cards and and reds last season seemed to be an indicator of that he's just a half a beat behind It, it, it mainly doesn't have any of that kind of problem he is physical i mean he's mostly technical but he's physical to go with it he doesn't look like 
he's often bullied on the ball. His his press resistance is really high because he, as Ten Hag says, he scans, he knows what's around him, and he lets the ball run across him. Very simple technique that allows you to just have a little bit more space, and and so it feels like. If we can, like, not burn him out, be sensible about it because he's 18 years old and and not get him injured like everyone else in the squad appears to be, then he's the, the person that brings balance to the force in this squad. With all the holes that we have, he's the one. But And I don't want to hype him up too much because, of course, we all look like idiots in six months if he doesn't make it. But it feels like the ceiling is so high that um, it would be a shame to not have him in the team now because we need him. It feels it feels like yesterday might have been the moment where he's now in the team. Same with Garnacho, where it now requires concerted bad form to get him out and someone else to, yeah. to earn the shirt from him. Yeah, I was. I mean, I I feel like it was that. I'm still thinking about that miss from Hoyland, and because it felt like there was a little bit of a lack of composure there, where he just sort of thrashed at it and. Allison is already one of those kind of lucky goalkeepers where things seem to hit him. I can't think like all the brilliant that you sometimes hear that Allison's made a brilliant save, and then I look at it and it's just like, I mean, no, the guy was close, but he's just thrashed it at his chest, and it was, it it it, it was kind of that. But I mean, I, I'd like I think Hoyland he does have to work on his hold up play as well, doesn't he? Yeah, he, barely, he was barely able to. I mean, part of it was everyone's some distance away from him. And they couldn't get the ball to him. United were having a lot of trouble building out from the back in the first 60 minutes or so of this game and just couldn't get it into him. I mean, he had four touches in the first half. I I don't think I've ever seen a striker have fewer touches in 45 minutes of football. It was just nowhere near it. And so that part of it was was United's problem. And part of it is his problem, yeah. He's got some development to do and it's, it's United's fault as a club that we've thrust someone who has absolutely no experience of this kind of level of football into being our first choice striker out of desperation. So I feel sorry for him. It's a very thankless task, but he also has to be better. Yeah, it was one of those where it felt like if he got some early, if he came in and the team was firing, then it could work really well. But because that isn't what happened, he's now, he's, he's struggling like, I guess turning up no, without much preseason, injured, without just having played very much football at all. Yeah, but we've obviously seen what some some aspects of what he can do, but we yeah, just yeah. don't have the option of taking him out the team. No, because the other option is Anthony Martial doing his best impression of his future Old Trafford statue. You know, just because there's nothing left of him anymore, or, or Marcus Rashford is so in the pits of lack of form that you wouldn't really bank on him doing much in this team either so no and I think one of the things that bothered me that I, I was annoyed a little bit about this game was it felt like we didn't get the chance to give Alexander-Arnold the proper going over yeah the passes all, to yeah. just weren't really good enough yeah the, the use the use of the ball was good that once they went to 4-4-2 was good for about 10 minutes where it looked like we might score but Otherwise, it felt like I'm sure that Garnacho hitting that space behind Alexander-Arnold or even trying to get him one-on-one would have been something that they planned and they just weren't really careful enough. They're just so imprecise in the passing that yeah. just, and the touch that you just see 
you don't get the bounce of the ball because of because sometimes it's just not going your way, but also just the general imprecision of it all. And yeah, that's been a problem with this team for so long. The worst culprit has gone. That was Fred. <laughs> I, I've never yeah. seen anyone. I don't think able to do some of the good stuff he did, but the basics, like a five-yard pass, was just so complex that, I mean, yeah, bent feet. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was he was the absolute worst of spraying it everywhere, and uh, you couldn't tell whether he put one in the top corner of his right foot or misplaced a five-yard well, pass. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I could. definitely could. He will okay. not do that. I remember the, that He did it on occasion, city. not often. <laughs> The city, the city cup semi, just after we signed Bruno. Bruno doesn't play where where we get the free kick at the end, and it's it's it, it, it's such yeah. one matter territory. Yeah, yeah. That it's just like it's not so far out that his little legs can't get it far. It's just outside the box where he was really good, and it was on his side. And they give it to Fred, and all they says after is, "Oh, he was on flames at training." It's just like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. I mean, I think also yesterday, something that hopefully changed. And really, I don't feel like, I mean, I know we have, but in like the general pile on, on Ten Hag, no one's really been saying he is playing Victor Lindelof and Harrens Maguire over Raphael Varane. And he keeps fucking doing it. Well, the, the supposed inside track on that one, the, the, the commentary that kept coming out, not that Ten Hag actually said this, was this was somehow about, Rafa Varane's ability to play out the back, but specifically his ability to play out the back, playing alongside Harry Maguire and the passing lanes out to, to Garnacho or Luke Shaw and whatever. Right. And, and then he played this game, the entire game, all 90 minutes with Varane on the left, the right footed Varane on the left and the left footed Johnny Evans on the right. And they both did perfectly well of defending their own box and not doing much more than that. But I, I was like, Hang on a minute. I don't get this narrative. This narrative wasn't true. Was it if that's the way you're going to play in this particular game? And I haven't heard him justify the selection and positioning at all because it would seem to go against that kind of received wisdom that he wasn't playing Rafa Varane and he was playing Victor Lindelof or Luke Shaw or anybody else on the left-hand side of that centre-back pairing because Rafa Varane couldn't pass out of the back, apparently. Five times Champions well, League winner, apparently. Can't pass out of the back. Well, I guess, I mean, it, it's not that there's no grain of truth in saying that he's not as good on the left and he's not. he doesn't really want the ball. But the other two aren't great on the left and also aren't great on the ball. So just pick the bloke that can defend, that can run and that can defend and that can win headers. It's... I mean, it makes you think that there's something else going on, that there's been some kind of fallout, because it just feels impossible that any sentient being would keep doing that, because... Yeah, 15 clearances yesterday. That is the second highest. Oh, I can't remember in what time period. In a long time, anyway. 15 clearances. The second highest of any United player? Maybe it's this season, sorry. I think it's this season, of any defender this season. Yeah, so he did that bit. Very well, and I know Ten Hag wants more out of his back four. And there was one occasion. Was it for the Hoyland chance when United played out of the back? It was, actually. It was for the Hoyland chance. United played it fully out of the back, split the centre-backs. It was centre-back to goalkeeper, to centre-back to wide and through midfield and so on, right? Uh, But for the most part, United played out of the back, got 
caught in a dead end and then lumped it forward. Or they played the centre-back to Anana, who couldn't find a man in midfield, who then lumped it forward. And at one point, I, 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 was, I was with the supporters club yesterday, I turned to the bloke next to me, I was like, I just, like, explain this to me. I don't get it if you're going to intricately tippy-tapper it between defenders and then hit it 90 yards forward. What's the point? <laughs> well, I guess the point is that you're hoping that you can create an opportunity to do something. And I thought that in the second half, when Dallow started inverting, they actually, he worked it out quite well a few times. I mean, he is obviously not good enough. And he, as I keep saying, because the, the player that I want is a better version of him. He's the one I'd sell. But thought he played well yesterday. I've actually been sent off for the same thing that Dallow got sent off for. I I was playing in a cup semi-final and we were losing. So I I dissed the referee, but not to his face. So I like talk about him loudly so <laughs> that he'll hear. He books me which I thought was harsh. And then I applauded the booking and told him he was sort of very brave, whatever I said. And then I got another yellow. So I go home and um, I'm uh, the girl I was married to at the time, her parents were staying. So there, how's the game? I said, well, we, we lost 4-0, blah, blah, blah. blah. Didn't, well, I left out that detail about the red card. And um, then get a call on Friday from my mo- then mother-in-law. Jewish Chronicles arrived and there's a match report. Oh, <laughs> cup semi-final. <laughs> And it says something like, Daniel Harris then compounded Raul Casino's woes by getting sent off for two book of the fences. And you forgot to tell us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I told, you thought you'd get it when you were in. There'd be my, no I media told, coverage. And, <laughs> I told... Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I told my brother-in-law, obviously, but no, that, that is true. I had not fouled him. But yeah, I thought, I thought he was unlucky. Yeah. I mean, it's not... Shouldn't... Hopefully not a massive deal to have just one Pesaka in the next game. But... He he is another one who is quite press resistant, definitely relative to the other defenders, some of the other defenders yeah. that we have. He's just yes, he's crap. just a bit crap. Uh, he's eliminated some of the defensive errors that he is uh, renowned for, uh, but really not added much of the attacking stuff. But yeah, he's okay on the ball. It's just like the rest of the game is a problem. I, I, of the sending off, the, the favourite angle I like is the high angle. Because <laughs> in the actual TV coverage where it's edited, it's a bit hard to see what's going on between all the the players and 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 the referee. And the high angle is great because you can see that it's all basically one motion, right? It's the the challenge, the go, the throw in. He turns around. It's not his. He throws the imaginary sort of fist of anger <laughs> towards the referee who books him and he does the same thing again, right? It's all kind of one motion. And you have to be a particular kind of jobs worth pedant fuckwit to to go, well, that's two different things I'm going to send you off for. And it's even more gratuitous because of what Darwin Nunes had done earlier in the game, which was almost identical in its... Well, in fact, there were three moments of dissent from Darwin Nunes in that, in that particular and incident. And also that bit... Uh, which, and that beard. And, and the, the elbow. He's a right prick in. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, talking to the bloke next to me in the pub, I was like, look, the, the guy, only times I ever... This guy's yeah, yeah. home, he's on his podcast going, I was just trying to watch the game. And there yeah, was really yeah, some guy next to me. <laughs> tw- like, yeah, blocking my view and constantly talking to me. Yeah. But look, there's only two people that kind of, that kind of tash is acceptable on. If you're a 1930s gangster in Chicago... 
or you're a nonce. And I'm not <laughs> sure which one Darwin Nunes is, but it would go with both. So anyway, it was, it was kind of ridiculous and like not to like referee to make mistakes. Uh, of course, the problem is Michael Oliver makes quite a lot in I Manchester United games and ones. he gets some heat as a result. <laughs> but he just see, maybe, maybe he makes a lot of mistakes generally and referees do and we're just totting up the ones he makes. I agree. But, I, don't, yeah. I don't think the standard is high. I do, I, I do think he's one of the better ones. I don't mind if they start sending people off for that shit, if they're going to send everyone off for it. Sure, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. You can't pick and choose. Mind you, he is the guy who invented the tossing up the team fouls to give someone a yellow card. Oh, was that him, Herrera? So, that was him, Herrera. Against the one Chelsea. and only time that rule has ever been invented and then discarded. So. And was it, was, it, was it him who sent off Martinelli? Martinelli got sent off for the, the two yellow cards in one passage of play last season. And then I was sort of wondering, didn't Arteta get off a charge this week? Which was right. He shouldn't. He, I was. He was right. He was right. He did get off the charge. But I wondered if he. I wondered if they were raising. Why is no one else getting sent off for this? Then, if it's all so fair, and then all of a sudden, someone else is getting sent off for that. I don't know. I don't. Well, look. They've they've done experiments in the past where they've mic'd up players. I think is it the Millwall game they did it a few years back and oh, a long time ago. Like, Tony but, Adams when Arsenal played Millwall, Adams, yeah. yeah, Adams is yeah. raging at the referee there. That's it, right? So the level of vitriol and four-letter words passed towards the referee means that they they won't make it public, right? Which of course, like since they mic'd up continuously now, a lot of that will be picked up. So the question of what is dissent, right? So is like being frustrated with a a thing. That hasn't gone your way. Is that dissent? Is is it? I don't know. Is kicking the ball fifty yards away dissent or not? Is sarcastically clapping the referee Sarcast- dissent? Is swearing at the referee and calling him a cunt dissent? What is acceptable and what is not? Right, and it's one of the the idea that a grown adult shouldn't be able to take being told to fuck off by another grown adult without waving something yellow in their face just feels wrong. But keep coming back to. The fact that the stuff that's going on in grassroots pitches means that much as I enjoy the behaviour of players, referees looking stupid, referees being officious, all of that stuff, much as I enjoy it, it's unfortunately endangering the safety of referees on a Saturday and a Sunday. So they have to come down on it for that reason. And I, I wish I wasn't here saying this, and I'm not blaming the players for what nutcases on a Saturday are doing and their fucking parents that's not the player's fault, but we would be stupid not to note the connection because we need to protect the grassroots game and we need to protect grassroots officials. And the way that we need to do that is by basically shutting down almost all dissent, even though in theory it's ridiculous. Like, who cares? But in practice, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, I'd, I'd be comfortable with that if, if that was actually the case week to week or even within a single game. And it's definitely not, right? So... There, there have been many more cards this season. It's just not. They don't do it every time. They just don't. And it was just very egregious in this particular game. But we'll watch, like, watch some games this week. There'll be dozens of incidents you could record just this week alone that did not match what happened yesterday. So yeah, it wasn't as egregious as Irwin's red card in 1999, but it was. It, it was. It wasn't a good one. Um, I tell you 
Well, thinking else well, about the game, I thought that Anthony was wank. Just so many of our good situations went to him to die. I thought bringing Pelistri yeah. on for Anthony was a good change, though, because at that point we started a bit to late, leave. but yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 a bit, a bit of pace on the break, and but he, as I, I, I think that how crap people have seemed to have decided he is is not a fair reflection. As it, and he's always wants the ball, and he hasn't ever had a decent right back behind him, but. He was going to need to make a big step forward this season. To it doesn't look like it, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. And it's we can blame Ten Hag for signing Anthony and say he should have known, and he probably should. But at the same time, a proper structure saves him from himself on that one as well. I would say. Oh uh, well, yeah, certainly, and it appears to be reading between the lines of the the various reporting from people who actually do know something, and there's a, a few of them out there to be what Ineos. I'm thinking about first, which is let's get the structure fixed and and not worry about the next saviour of a manager until we get the, all the right pieces in place. So, yes, you're right. Ten Hag should have been saved from him, himself there. I mean, the thing with Anthony is the only thing that stands out, and it's true both with your eyes and the data, is his defending. Yeah, he does that, the defensive part of his game, very, very well. He's very disciplined. He works hard. All of the time, he covers his full back. He actually makes tackles and interceptions. He's quite high in the rankings. Every attacking metric is in the 30th to 70th percentile. I mean, he's in the, right in the middle of the averages you can get for being a, an attacking player. And of course, he's got zero assists and, and zero goals this season, which um, <laughs> is another one. <laughs> that is a good, important metric, that one. Quite an important one for one of your three attacking players, yeah. But so, I, I mean, I think yeah. in in Tenard's yeah. defence, I would say the reason he's going one of the reasons anyway he's going for the, he went for the players that he knows is because the club hasn't made provisions to prevent that from happening. No, they definitely have not. I mean, they look they they built so like two years ago when Murta got the job eighteen months ago, whenever it was, I. I, I thought, well, okay, let's wait and see and see what happens. But this is a step forward. It looks much more like every other elite club in Europe, pretty much, right? You have a, you have a director of football or football director, I think Murtaugh's title is. <laughs> is they, <laughs> what the difference director, is, I'm not director sure. Director to the football. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Football, director of. <laughs> and Andy O'Brien came in as his assistant and then uh, Brown, I'm forgetting his name, Dave Brown as the head of the head of transfers uh, and so they just and and like hundreds of scouts is that a thing like head of transfers of is that the things as in the things well, it was, it was, um, themselves that's it <laughs> the yeah matt judge's replacement effectively who, who yeah matt judge who was not someone in the football world and was just a negotiator for commercial deals and then was told to go and buy players right so didn't work none of the structure worked but unfortunately the, the like united's record under the murta regime for one of a better word it's it's shockingly bad it's just bad it's like martinez has been great when he's not injured but he's been injured a lot but what else? You know, uh, Anana's I a big think... question. Malassi is a big question. So um, I think that's harsh on Malassi. Hoyland's a question. So, <laughs> so right. So 
But that's the so to look at last season's one. Martinez, massive success. Yeah, Anthony, massive success. Probably yeah. massive failure. And then Casemiro, overall a success. Let's see what happens this season. But also just a loss leader because he needed a player for right now. And Casemiro was the best player he thought he could get for right now, knowing that you've got Mainu coming up behind. So get two good years out of Casemiro. We haven't had it, but that probably was the idea. And he's obviously been injured or suspended. But <laughs> basically the whole of the fucking 2023. <laughs> um, so stop stuff so that's Malassia was 15 million quid and he was useful I would say to just last season we got our 15 million quids worth out of Malassia we don't know that he's going to go on to be good enough to play for United but if we sell him it'll be for more than 15 million quid and we've got Alvaro Fernandez. so I'm giving Malassia I'm happy I don't mind I'm happy with Malassia it was a gamble it was cheap yeah, yeah. And, we, and, we, and we got use out of him Anthony, probably a failure. So that's, I would say last summer, like the first summer, varying degrees, but I'd say three out of four were good enough to not be failures, definitely. And then this summer, we just don't know yet. Like, well, how can I judge? I think Mason Mount was the wrong player, but that doesn't mean he won't be useful. But also, how can I judge him when he's had three injuries in five months? Like, yeah. Oh. Well, um, no, that's true. And uh, it's the first part, I guess, my instinct goes to. And like... Can't can't see it yet, but obviously, like all these people we've mentioned in this conversation, should be able to see it better than me. So I'm just a podcaster; it's not very important in the grand scheme of things. Anana, we'll see. Uh, you know, I don't know. There's some fundamentals there I'm pretty concerned about. He flapped at a couple yesterday, and in convincing, in convincingly punched another one, but did the things he had to do. Fine, didn't chuck one in which is a bonus. Yeah, um, he made a good save, the good save from the header. It's yeah, it's still yeah. I some errors while he settles in, some big errors, he's nervous, are vaguely understandable, but not totally understandable from someone of his level of experience, I wouldn't say. I don't it's hard to I don't blame him for losing the playing out from the back because how can you play out from the back with those dickheads in front of you and constantly rotating yeah. cast of second choice second raters i mean i understand it completely but i keep coming back to the fact that the massive errors he continually makes that are responsible for our elimination from the champions league are a facility of untidy messy scruffy impetuous goalkeeping and he's not about to change his style so it feels like we're going to need another goalkeeper yeah, we'll see. I mean, the uh, I guess there was a red flag at at the uh, it's the World Cup before the World Cup or Afcon was it where where he was asked by Rigobert Song to change the style and go a bit more direct and he was basically tiki taka or death and so the coach chose footballing death although he's back now well, with he's the, back. in um, the fold so I yeah I'm not sure that Andre is a suitable name for a goalkeeper Andre feels <laughs> you going down for the. <laughs> Yeah. More like a crooner at some kind of nasty hotel on the Costa Brava. Do you think? Do you think names can say much about footballers? There was an England under seventeen game at the recent World Cup where they had five double-barreled players in the team. I was I, like, wow! I don't think I've ever seen that before. And I commented in our WhatsApp group, the old the old crew, and they were like, "Oh, it doesn't like modern family structures." I was like, "No, nah, Jesus, I <laughs> not that." <laughs> I've always thought that um, 
if Nigel Farage had been called John, then maybe Brexit would have never happened because he wouldn't have been so furious and taking out his frustrations at being called Nigel and kind of transferring. <laughs> you think to, you think that's it? Childhood trauma from being called Nigel. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I think that had he not been called Nigel, he'd be less racist. Yeah, I do think that. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting theory. <laughs> we'll, we'll never be able to prove the counterfactual, but yeah, um, yeah. But who else? There are other players, and I'm trying to think who they are now. Where it feels like they've got a name, Titus Bramble. I think that Titus Bramble got as far as he got in football, partly because he was called Titus Bramble. And if he'd been called John Smith, he would have not necessarily made it. Yeah. 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 Titus being called Titus Bramble was helpful, I think. So I think yeah, I, I think I think this stuff I think this stuff does I think this stuff does matter. That's what I'm saying. What name what 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 your name is? But yeah, but not, not always, obviously. <laughs> Yeah. Well, whether it's John Edwards or whoever might be that United bring in to replace John Murta, I don't know whether it's going to be a fancy name in there. Although we do have Dave Brailsford. Is that Dave? Dave's kind of a football-y name, isn't it? So. Sir Dave. Sir Dave. Sorry, Sir Dave. EPO Dave. Yeah, just, just that whole British cycling thing just totally made me laugh that the reason, like, there's no... The reason why we were so good at it in this country, well, the country that I am in, I guess, is that I definitely don't consider myself winged there. But the reason why this country is so good at it was anything more than it's fucking expensive to do, and most countries don't do it. Yes, there, there was. Yes, absolutely. They chucked a lot of money at it. If you have good infrastructure, and well, I mean, it's it's true. I actually, like. Like to the wider point there, I mean, it was a point made in Soconomics, which has had a few additions now and called some different things in different countries. But one of the points was there's a very high relationship between GDP per capita and success in sport. Well, what a surprise. Not <laughs> entirely, not entirely based on that, of course, because there are definite exceptions, Brazil being one. But yes, there's a, there is a strong link between the two things. And, understandable and becoming reasons. and becoming more so now i would say particularly if you look at what's going on in european football in particular that yeah the richer countries are just doing are just doing better it feels as it feels now like england they're going to be good at football forever because the money in the premier league has led to money in the system that has led to the culture of the country changing such that You'll, there'll always be good footballers, they'll always be found, and this will always be a good place to be a footballer. Yeah, yeah. Can we find some good footballers for United? No. <laughs> so, no, apparently not. I mean, we can, we sort of can, but what if we're just cursed? Yeah, maybe. I think that's probably... What if Fergie you think did the deal? Fer- Fergie did the deal, he did the Fassian deal, and we're going to be shit forever. Maybe. Yeah, like uh, Dorian Gray. Yeah, the, Dor- the Dorian Gray. Well, I mean, he sort of did do that deal with the Glazers, sort of, in that he did, by doing by allowing the takeover, he did sort of condemn United to be likely shit after he turned it in. What a bottler. <laughs> like that. Cream like that. Pathetic. Weak. <laughs> Yeah. Why is he still manager? <laughs> I mean, if one of those, what if, like, what would have happened if Fergie had been ten years younger or had stayed on? Because he did force the title out of that team, but it wasn't good that lot. No, the 2011-2013 teams weren't. No. Or, or the other way around. What if he had actually quit in two thousand and two, and we'd got Sven as manager? Would 
with the with the the spiral to mediocrity of just happened a decade earlier, probably right. So. Which means we might be out of it now. Yeah, or just or or out of the Premier League and mulling around I mean, the championship. Yeah, I, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's one of the great dastardly moves, letting everyone think you were quitting and then coming back just to screw them over just for like just another decade or so. Yeah, I wonder who in that Lovely. squad, uh, 2002, 2001, 2002 squad, was absolutely relieved that Fergie was going and had so a moment of I, horror afterwards. I think I remember Red Issue saying once that the players, like the level of reverence and adoration, if you remember this, this when he quit the, properly at the end in 2013, like the thing that always really stuck with me, I found quite mo- quite moving, touch it was... Raphael had a when they when they beat Swansea and they do the lap of honor. Raphael is wearing a t-shirt that he's had made like a footballer on shitloads of money. He has gone to the trouble of having a t-shirt made of fucking snappy snaps or whatever. <laughs> and on that t-shirt is a photo of him and Fergie to go to. I mean, it's not a massive length, but it's 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 a night. It's like a a length that you would go to for someone, but that you thought to do it, and it's just like. You and them together, you're just like so happy to have known. I found the way, like Van Persie also, you could see was just like, when he encountered Fergie was just yeah, so yeah. delighted to, yeah. to have come to learn at the feet of this, of this great master. I, I would say, but, um, uh, Raphael would probably just text his, text his PR people, but I actually sat next to his brother for 12 hours on a plane to, brazil once he didn't say much because fabio or a different brother fabio fabio yeah yeah his english was not awesome so my attempts at doing conversation were were not great but we were in the love seats on the ba plane so he couldn't get away from me so, oh, i guess because you obviously have the you get the legroom seats yeah no i in first class so <laughs> uh, so i so i and i remember red issues right in 20 in 2002 what like it wasn't really like that i think maybe it's just just different kinds of players because you couldn't say that Ferg, that Beckham and Skulls and Giggs don't have reverence for them. I think it's more the way that they were raised was probably less touchy feely, mm. so that football is cutthroat. So that when you people move on, like you just you just get some new people. Do you know what I mean? Like it, sometimes, like when you hear that footballer A was best man for footballer B, sometimes I think well. Don't you have any other mates? <laughs> yeah, like before yeah, you, yeah. before you was before you before before you were a footballer. But they just like they go through so much stuff together, and it become. I think it's probably quite intense at the time, but you've got to be mercenary about it. So when you move on, it moves on. Whereas I don't know, maybe by the time twenty thirteen comes around, it's it's all a bit it's all a bit more touchy feely. The style of management is a bit more touchy feely probably giving a little bit more pastoral care or you've met Fergie's mellowed a bit as he's got older. So the players maybe feel more comfortable about coming to him for pastoral care as well. I don't know, but yeah, probably that, but also I guess the legend, the legend of Fergie in 20, in 2002 versus the legend of Fergie in 2013. Also very different in 2002. He's a great manager. He was, he was saved United by 2013. He's, he's the greatest. Yeah. Well, true, uh, and especially in the context of what we now know of the Glazers' ownership and their ability to structure and run a football club, the ability to turn that dross from 
2002 to 2005 into a three times Champions League finalist. And I can't remember how many titles it was before you retired. Several. It was, yeah, a, a stroke of unbelievable genius. So, yeah. Yeah, good, good football manager, in my opinion. Alex yeah, Ferguson. yeah, yeah. A shocking take <laughs> there. And you can print that. Yeah. As uh, he once said. All right. Well, I guess that's Liverpool. We've got. I mean, do we feel better about what's coming up next? Because I was looking at Liverpool, West Ham, Villa, and Bayern before this is like quite high up on the potential for losing a whole bunch of games in a row. But so, but we should feel better <laughs> after <laughs> actually having got something out of it, shouldn't we? Yeah, I mean, West Ham be a different kind of game. Uh, how do you go about signing Anthony and leaving Kudus there? Who you could have got for half the price, a lot less, less than half the price, and and and, and then some. I could probably because also he was it, it was he'd had a year less. Yeah. Also, it's even more nuts. Like Garner play Garner drew a was it draw a Comoros or lose a Comoros in the first World Cup qualifying, and you know, like you sometimes get managers who want to sort of they're desperate to show you how clever they are, so they do something so you'll think it's clever. And Chris Hewton leaves Kudus out of that Comoros game. Garner managed to not win. Because, but yeah, I mean, he, he looks a real player, Kudus. And I think, I thought Luke Shaw played well yesterday. So that'd be an interesting battle. But it looks, I'm hoping that, I mean, because he's got a decision to make now, Tenaf, because does he, is he prepared to drop Scott McTominay? Yeah, that's a big because question because he doesn't it now appear feels to be. Because like, <laughs> yeah. it now feels like that is what he has to do. Yeah. Politically, he can leave out Amrabat. But when Casemiro's back, then then you are going to have to do something. Mm. Because he he obviously knows that Mania is the future of this team. He, he says it. like even and we, I know we've all, we've all been pissed off that we'd like to have seen more of Mania mm-hmm. than we have. Since since the Everton game, we just want him to play in every game, and maybe he is being a little bit too circumspect. But he has been out. But it feels like he's had a few games now. And he's yeah. ready. So he does he does have to make a decision. And it's not midweek game. They've got a full week off, and so like the the recovery will be fine. And like Maynou can play two games in seven days. I, I think that's fine for him uh, as a young. Fit man, and so it really will be a question now. If if Ten Hag goes straight back to what he was doing before, and the dross that United were producing by playing Bruno, McTominay, and Amrabat in this one, I, I will be very disappointed. I have to say, someone needs to tell him that. Yeah, someone needs how to. Can, how can we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, Baldy. Uh, there's will... a yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think if. I can't remember what I was going to say. I just, I, I, I just like, but I would like it. I would like it if we were good. The West Ham game is, I mean, it's that because it is, it is a difficult game, West Ham. You do what one thing that I wonder if it makes a difference. And Ten Hag's obviously, we've, we've criticized him and he has been criticized for taking less, for taking the amount of time it's taken him to not get us playing coherently versus what we see from Villa and what we see from Newcastle and what we see from Tottenham. Mm-hmm. Now, there are other differences, but I think one significant one will be when Postacoglu, Howe and Emery took their jobs. They did not have midweek football. And Ten Hag has had the busiest schedule last season, I think, of any manager in yeah, the world. Yeah, more than 60 games. Not a lot of yeah. time. 
not a lot of time to do any coaching. And when I say that, I don't know that his coaching is any good, but I, it's almost like another excuse is being taken away. You're going to have fit players, hopefully, from more or less now till the end of the season. You're going to be able to coach, and we're going to see. We're going to see if you're any, if you're any good. And I think that it's not unreasonable of us to posit, well, what he would have turned up hoping to do might not work. Winning that Eredivisie with that Ajax that he had is very different to competing in this Premier League and maybe the kind of shit he was getting away with there. And let's not forget that that Ajax team eventually got fucked up by Premier League goal power, basically. Mm-hmm. Just some dickheads on the bench that could make stuff happen with yeah, yeah. Tottenham out. Yeah. That what he could get away with in the Eredivisie can't get away with in the Premier League, this man-to-man in midfield stuff when you've got the best players, and, but not just the best players, when you've got the best players by miles and yeah, miles. Yeah. Oh, well, in fact, actually, um, you know, to come back to a player we talked about a lot, Anthony, like his, his one trick of coming inside to float the ball to the back post is not successful in this league. His second trick, of which he's very, very, very not good, of knocking it past the player on the outside and trying to run around the outside does not work in the Premier League level. I've only ever seen Gareth Bale pull it off, right? Every other defender of any competence is able to is able to just move across the line, right? And it just doesn't work. He's not able to go around the outside as a result. But I do... I do The kind of thing your dad does on you in the garden. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I do that with my 10-year-old all the time and I feel good, quite good about myself for doing it. And then he punches me <laughs> right in the dick. So, you know, it's like... <laughs> True story. <laughs> he so that didn't work. It does. It does give me big pause. Not to relitigate all this again, but about Ten Hag that he thought that he could get away with it with so many of his players, right? So the fact that he thought Anthony would be at, what he knew of Anthony of working with him closely would translate, and what he knew of Amrabat from working with him six years ago would translate, and what he knew of Ericsson, although that's a different because like you know, we. Everyone's seen a lot of Christian Eriksen. Might, might fully work. Ericsson and Amrabat. So. Ericsson and Amrabat are at United not because they're good enough, but because they're free enough. Yeah, well, true. These are like, and and Amrabat is at United probably for another six months, yeah. and then a letter. Ericsson different, free, nice to have around, different to what else you've got. Good substitute. Like I, I like having Ericsson in the squad. I don't like starting games with him particularly, but. I, he's someone that I'm happy to have around. Amrabat, I'm sure, will soon be waddling back to Florence. And yeah. I, Dear Sofian, it's not me, it's so you. I don't, so at that level, if you're bringing someone in for a year, number one, it might be the personal connection that enables you to, to make that happen. I mean, who, who, I mean, Val Vegels probably had lots of options and he came to that. But so if you're, it means you're, you might know their agent, you might know their players. It probably makes it easier. And also, if you're only bringing them in for a year, you're also thinking, what kind of person are they? They're going to ask up my changing room. So, but the main reason, as I said earlier, is that he's, his talent ID isn't his job. Scouting isn't his job. Director of football isn't his job. His job is demanding, pressurized, and hard. So... The amount of time he has to devote to doing other people's jobs probably isn't that much. So, yeah, I mean, Anthony is difficult because his numbers weren't good in Holland either, particularly. No. So, 
it's a really like because you think that he's going to be good enough to play and you want to make your team you want United to be the best team in the world but that's that's your brief here and you think that Anthony is good enough to be part of that it is it is strange it we can't say it isn't even though as I keep saying I still think he's been better so far than people say but it doesn't look like he's going to make the leap no and and the idea that how did it not happen that someone said well this player has done this and this we could get I don't know I mean who knows how the conversation went it just and maybe they just felt that they couldn't deny him who he wanted in that first window yeah but yeah, it just well. Someone, I suspect that. Someone. I suspect that's it because, like, it, the the level of detail required at United to sign off on the check is apparently very high, right? So someone signed off on it anyway, knowing all of that. Uh, like coming back to West Ham, like I mean, they are legitimately good through midfield. I mean, they have good players in there that that make them better than a David Moyside really should be. Uh, yeah, Pakatar also. Pakatar, Alvarez been excellent. Kudus further forward has been excellent. James Ward Prowse gives them a obviously real danger from set pieces, but he was very Just good at the weekend and well. running power. Yeah, so they are they are good through there. They do lack some options up front. I think that's true, and they are pretty static at the back. But they are ahead of United in the table for a reason. They are with, getting enough results. With all these games like this, you think if we play well, we'll win. But we could easily lose this in abject fashion. And that would be a real massive step back, wouldn't it, if that happened? But it'll be interesting because front foot United hasn't created much, but has left open itself at the back a lot this season. So, and we haven't seen that kind of performance that we saw at Anfield at all this season. So what do United do here? Are we more open? Do we play Bruno and McTominay again? And expect not to be caught in the transition again. Uh, it feels like that's what will happen. That if I was guessing, I would guess that Bruno comes in fat for Amrabat. I'll do fucking time. I really will. <laughs> but, but that 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 would be my guess. The other thing I think they really need to work on is getting something out of Hoyland. Whether that is getting someone close to him when you're trying to hit him long so that if he does ask up his touch, then there's someone there to collect it. It's, is he going to run front post or is he going to run back post? He needs to know when, when the ball's coming in and yeah, it just, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yesterday wasn't the game to judge him really. Cause so I'm few, not, there were so few touches, but yeah, just generally, yes, that he does not get the ball into space very often. You'd think that would be a strong point. Wouldn't you? He's that- getting the fewest passes. He's getting hit. The, I saw a statistic and I'm now going to look like a knob because I'm saying about to big something up without actually knowing exactly what it is. But I saw some kind of, or heard some kind of statistic this week about how few passes centre forwards are receiving. And he is right down there with yeah. the lowest, yeah, yeah. the lowest of the low of, of, of service. Yes. But and if, if you also- had him and Martial together, they're still in the bottom third for that particular metric. (laughs) (laughs) This is also that McTominay thing because he needs Bruno near him. You've got this elite, like one of the greatest creators in world football 
And he's not near enough. To, I thought we'd be seeing Bruno sliding balls down the side, him holding defenders, yeah. pinning centre-backs, holding them off with his arms. Like the Kaku could do that as well. Just out-physicaling defenders, like shift, shoot. I thought that's what we'd be seeing from him. And we're not. And it just... It, it's weird because obviously Ten Hag isn't telling them nothing. But they'd say like he's telling them nothing. Part of their job is obviously standards. And they are responsible for their own standards. And when I say professional standards, I really mean fuck all. I mean putting in effort and concentrating. Those are professional standards of being a footballer, mm-hmm. really. You work your ass off and you, and you concentrate hard. That's it. And I'm not really seeing that much of that. And that was the Liverpool game was one of the first times we'd, we'd, we'd really seen that. But also, that's the player's responsibility, but also it's the manager's responsibility to inspire them. And... He's not a manager who fires people up. They're not coming out to not get beat for him. And so when you, when that's the case, you've got to really get the kind of the, the tactical element right. And you've got to have characters that can, that don't, that don't require that. I, I, I don't know if that, if we do or not, but yeah. you have to, the, the tactical stuff has to be bang on. And it's just, there's, there's, there's something, something's getting lost somewhere. But then that was clearly the case with Ole, whose coaches were, who were getting instructions from McKenna and Carrick, who obviously weren't telling them to just be dickheads. That was all their own work. So, I don't... Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully now, it really does come down. Now Varane's in the team. It really does come down to Martinez coming back and Casemiro coming back, but to the composition of that midfield. And if he would just get that composition of the midfield that we all know what it is, and leave it alone. And I don't mean not give them instructions, but just let, try and let a team gel and settle. And this probably isn't even the best time of the year for that because you will have to rotate over Christmas. But you'll try and keep the bones of the team the same. Then you're starting, the players start to feel partnerships on the pitch. They start to feel comfortable. And then, then you'll start to see results. But it is, it won't be good. It will not be good on a regular with Bruno and McTominay in the same infield. It will not. No. So we've got West Ham, then Villa, Villa is on Boxing Day, and then I forget, we get one more before the Wigan game, we don't can, we? We'll lose at home on Boxing Day. I mean, I, 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 I've I, got a bad feeling about that one. For, Forest, and then the Wigan game. So it's, I mean, it's busy, but it's there's there's been definitely been busier Christmas periods. Yeah, that's true. 23rd, actually. 26th, 30th, and then the 8th. So They'll still do loads of rotating because they feel like they have to, but you're right. Actually, you do not need to rotate that much there, particularly if you can get one of those games won quickly. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, it's, the West Ham game is definitely an opportunity. So is Forest. the The Villa game, and we'll come back to that next next weekend. But yeah, obviously that looks dangerous. Although I have to say, not not that I have any sort of soft feelings for Villa or anything, but I did quite enjoy Ollie Watkins giving it to the crowd after he scored at the weekend and his explanation oh, thereof was was quite enjoyable yeah what did he say uh well he he tried to say it wasn't like i wasn't i wasn't directing it the the whole crowd and the opposition just that one bloke who's giving me shit all game maybe or maybe not true i don't know but look it's uh i don't know that's part of the villa part of the game villa enjoying it, right yeah yeah of course i mean yeah villa are really interesting because they've got good skill level and they're really physical as well Mm-hmm. And I think that, I mean, we had a, it was funny because I, I sort of feel like it's not a great matchup for us, but 
we beat them quite nicely when we played them in the cup last season, and we've had we've had, like that that that'll be a good game. That 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 should be a really like a proper good Boxing Day game. But yeah, we we we, we know what has to be done, and we, it feels like we shouldn't be that far off being good, but we might be miles away from being good. I mean, they've scored the double the amount of goals we've scored, Aston Villa. Double. 17 goals. 17 goals in 18 league games is a total disgrace. And there's no... We can make a million excuses for Ten Hag that are fair and, and, and exculpatory, but there's no fucking excuse for that whatsoever. Absolutely not. Well, on that joyous note, we'll uh, <laughs> okay. do you farewell and catch you on the next one. Thanks a lot, everyone. Please.